Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. This is Chris Beyer. We're in the Bait and Switch podcast studios. I forget to say that. Jim, my yeah. co-host. Right. Hello. Actually, I'm in the studio. I'm in the studios. You're in the studio. Yeah. You're not in the studio. Not, right. We are still, what, a year and a half into this pandemic, and we have not done a live podcast uh, in about a year and a half. Right. Right. And there's kind of a lot of reasons for that. Right. I mean, I mean, one of them, obviously, is, is the pandemic. But the other one is we're getting guests that are not necessarily local. So, yeah. In the past, we always had to bring people into the studio. Yep. And so that limited how many people would actually want to you know, drive on a Monday night to come to our studio. So yeah. we've had a lot of different guests on from all over the place uh, over these last year and, a, year and a half that we wouldn't have done otherwise. Right, right. That's one of the silver linings, if you will, yeah. of the pandemic. With all the people yep. that died and Jim's looking for silver linings. Sure, That's yeah. Good, well, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> get, a, yeah. get a look on the upside, man. Yeah, yeah. We got extra guests deaths. out of the whole thing. So this is great. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, five million deaths worldwide, and you're looking for the bright side. Well, that's all. That's awful nice of you, Jim. Coincidentally, I think this is the first time that our guest shares a name with one of us. We have right. our guest on tonight is Ron Martin, and you're Jim Martin. That's true. He spells yeah. his name wrong, unfortunately. I was going to talk about that and yeah. went through some of the uh, etymology. You're the the E N, which is more of a Germanic uh, type uh, Martin, and right. then he's the I N, which is more French. Okay. And then uh, lesser known, you see a YN, which is Swiss. Okay, interesting. Swiss, yeah, and then, really. Hmm. And AN, you don't see that much. That's Cherokee Indian. And hmm. then the least uh, known one is M-A-R-T-I-A-N. Really? Yeah. Martian. The Martian. Martian. Yeah, Martian. Yeah, <laughs> right. I want to say hi to our friends right. on Red right. Planet. Uh, our guest, again, as I mentioned, Ron Martin. He's a clinical psychologist. I think retired. We'll, we'll kind of flesh that out a little bit. But you, well, we'll you just decided for him? Well, we'll find out. I believe yeah, he's well, retired. Ryan, you're retired now. Sorry. <laughs> he also was involved in alcoholism counseling. And this is at a time where it might have been kind of a new field. So anyway, I'd like to welcome to the show clinical psychologist, Ron Martin. Ron. Hi there. Hi, Ron. There he, <laughs> there he is. Thanks for yeah. coming on the show. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah. So clinical psychology, uh, the first thing I think of people of our generation is Bob Newhart, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He I got a Lucy, but you know, that's, that's me, Lucy. Yeah. yeah that, that's good. That's going back a little bit. Uh, there was a show in the seventies about a guy that had a practice where he, he dealt with people and you had a practice. I mean, obviously not as, as funny as Bob's, I'm sure, but <laughs> what did you, did you have a, a practice like that? I did have a practice in uh, in Chicago. Um, I had uh, clinical psychology. I, did, I saw families and individuals, and, and largely uh, in the beginning was all uh, people who were in recovery from uh, the hospital um, stay that they had had. And I was a counselor there at the uh, at the hospital. I was the the head psychologist at the uh, the care unit back at Skokie Valley Hospital way back in the day. And, what uh, uh, what day was that? What decade are we talking about? <laughs> this is a long time ago, man. This is around uh, uh, 91, 92. 
1891. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but now, now uh, you must have uh, been in some other field prior to that. Uh, you were not in psychology back in the 80s, say? Oh, sure. No, I got my I got my my graduated from uh, University University of Chicago, but way back in 74. Okay. Uh, so I got my PhD there. And um, I had several other smaller practices that I uh, had with, with other people. And, you know, eventually you, I got hired uh, after lots of other things happened, got hired to at Skokie Valley. Right. And that's where I began to specialize in alcoholism treatment. At, at the, that time. the reason I bring it up is because, like I said, I believe that you practiced back in the 70s. And that's when the Bob Newhart show was on. But was there a lot of stigma with people going to psychologists back when you first started? Oh yeah. Tremendous stigma. I mean, it's a, especially with, uh, uh, well, everybody, but guys in particular, you know, I don't, I, you know, we're, we're all self-made men and we don't need any help from anybody and mm-hmm. we're not real good with emotions and all that, that whole shtick, you know, that's speak still for yourself. Speak for yourself, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean... generalizing here. I'm generalizing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was not something that uh, was you know, largely favored by. I mean, there's this, you can stereotype people into certain uh, kinds of people that didn't like that. But I mean, in general, people that are were kind of uh, closed off emotionally or maybe were a little insecure about uh, how well they were doing in life, uh, they in particular didn't want to be vulnerable. So they would talk about that. They'd make fun of psychologists and psychiatrists and stuff. And, uh, you know, we deserve some of it, but not all of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now it almost seems like the thing to do. Like if you don't have a therapist, you're kind of like, what's wrong with you? you know, yeah. Like, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. It, it really did. Yeah. It really did change. I mean, there's still, uh, still a, a stigma attached to it to to a certain percentage and i don't know anymore what percentage that would be but i mean it's not uh uh in, for many people it is a good thing to do and they see that uh you know you can get good results from that and it, it does help you grow and and understand your problems helps you uh dig into your resources and and uh, be the best you know i'm still, still like I'm, I'm mouthing cliches here be the best you could be i was gonna say but I mean, oh, there you go it really is, it really is <laughs> it's the, the army <laughs> yeah, right. you dig in you dig in you find your head strengths you didn't know you had so it's it's just sure. basically mm-hmm. that but you have to uh, work through a lot of uh, junk to get to get to that spot right right do you do you often uh do you have a couch in your office or did you have a couch in your office is it it, but yeah but just a rate not not the freudian couch so, there. so yeah so you didn't have people laying back and and Nobody got to lay back on your couch at all. No, no. See, that that would be a Freudian back in the in the forties yeah. or fifties that might do that, but uh, and a psychiatrist in particular. But um, no, we just had regular regular couch chairs, and uh, you know, just sat across from each other. Are you sure you were doing it right? Because everything I've seen, I've seen a couch of the <laughs> maybe that's why I didn't have any success. I don't know. <laughs> you know, one thing I heard, and this might uh, go against the couch idea here. One thing I heard is that whether it was boys and girls or men and women, that women, it's a good idea to sit down in the chair and talk with them and the feelings come out. But they say with men or boys, motion is needed. And that if you want to talk to a boy or a man, it's best to go for a walk in the woods, the way that the, the testosterone works and men work, that they're, they're more uh, open when they're in motion. Oh man, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, it just, hmm. it's a little bit distracting when you're just sitting in a chair across from someone and looking at them. I mean, that's, that's much more intense, but if you're going for a walk and, you know, wherever it is, you know, or playing sports, you know, it, yeah. I mean, of course the, yeah. the shrink wouldn't do that. Psychologists wouldn't play sports with a person, but going for a walk, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, that's a, uh, 
is is a you know that's an accurate uh, description. You know, you could have saved on overhead. Don't even have an office. Just go <laughs> yeah, for a walk. Yeah, right, park. right. Just just a lawn chair and and some running shoes. That's right. A bunch of umbrellas and we're all set, right? There you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you could have retired sooner had you talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't meet you told. You know, it wasn't that long ago. You know. <laughs> So, so the, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, that I probably should know the answer to, and I don't. I, I always forget. Who can administer drugs, the psychologist or the psychiatrist? The psychiatrist. The psychiatrist has an um, an MD, and the psychologist, oh, okay. you know, can have various degrees. PhD is what I have, but you can you can get a certificate to be a, a psychologist in the state if you uh, meet certain requirements. And it does not have to be a PhD. Um, okay. It can be things like a PsyD or something. You know. Okay. Don't feel pressured if Jim starts hitting you up for drugs here. <laughs> you got a pad there? You got a subscription pad? <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, back in the seventies when you started, it was one of those things. Like we said, there was a stigma, and as time has gone on, it's changed. When did you feel the change to be more accepted and less frowned upon? Well, I, I, I don't. I wish I had a good answer to that. I don't. Um, it, it over time, more people that were. Uh, well-known, uh, talked about being in therapy. Um, it, you know, it's akin to earlier than that, back in the, in the 60s, when the Beatles all of a sudden decided to pick up meditation, meditation became cool, you know, and, and mm-hmm. everyone was doing meditation. And uh, and it, it, that carried forward into into even our, our times now. Uh, with psychology, I don't know if there was any dramatic moment like that with psychology. I just, uh, uh, I, I wish I had a good answer to it, and I don't. Well, you did mention, you just said that celebrities perhaps perhaps you know celebrities will be open talking it on on talk shows about you know going to therapy and counseling that might open it up to people absolutely because they they always have an influence uh good bad or indifferent but in this case um some good stories and people then it became something of a of a status symbol to have enough money to go to you know top-notch therapist right and so then somebody like you i didn't fall in that that category but i was uh uh i'm telling the psychiatrist in hollywood you know for example could even back in the day would charge a pretty hefty fee i I thought they called you the psychologist of the stars isn't that what they called you psychologist (laughs) no yeah i thought i must have misheard that i guess that was that was the other dr martin (laughs) oh yeah right that's right it's for doc martin yeah what am i thinking (laughs) so um if you have somebody that you know who you think eh, seems like they're drinking a lot, boy, every time you see them post on Facebook, they're at another bar or something, you know, how do you approach somebody about something like that? Um, I don't. I mean, if they're a good friend and I, I, I mean, not as a, as a professional, but as a friend, I mean, I never mm-hmm. as a professional would approach anyone, um, yeah. but as a friend um, that I see slowly going down the tubes, um, uh, well, you, you'd have you have a talk. I mean, we used to have things that we call interventions. I'm, I don't know. I guess that's pretty well known these days. But I mean, we take um, people that are going down a path of, of chemical dependence or alcohol dependence usually end up losing things. They're losing trust in their people and losing. Uh, I mean, the people don't trust them, and uh, they, they start losing jobs. They start losing money. They start losing their health. So I mean, it's there's a progression. They go to uh, some point with that. And, um, what, what we would do is to have an intervention with all the people that uh, this is as a professional, people who care about them get to get together privately and talk about, well, uh, John, when you, when you drink, this is what the effect on me is. 
And so they all write their letters to John, who we'll call the the the, the token, you know, budding sure. alcoholic. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then they bring John in unawares to some kind of gathering, and they're they're all sitting in chairs, looking at John, and say, they, "We have something we want to share with you." So the, you do would call it what we used to call raising bottom. Um, if if you go the, all the way to the bottom, where you lose everything, all your your family, your health, your money, your uh, that's all the way to the bottom. Uh, you try to raise the bottom so you don't have to go that far, you know, by, by confronting, uh, you know, your drinking is affecting us in this way. It's affecting you. Uh, but if it's done with love, then um, it, it's something which can raise a person's bottom. They say, Oh my gosh, I, uh, I, there was a number of times I had the most unusual situation. It's not unusual when you think of it, but it would be the, the voice of the little girl. I mean, the six-year-old girl about talking to grandpa, John, you know, what, what his drinking, how it hurt her. And that would be the thing that would, would break him. And sure. in the sense of, um, you know, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Cause often they don't, they really don't. They're just right. not aware. So. Sometimes it's hard to tell, is this a problem or is this just a thing that they do as a hobby? Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's a really, uh, you know, when you, you break an arm, it's clear that it's broken. I mean, it's either broken or not broken, but when you are going down a path of, of dependence, chemical dependence, um, there's no clear cut things like that. You know, there, um, I, I'll tell you one thing that, that surprised me when I first started this, um, I had a very well tailored 40 ish about man come to me, nice suit. And he was, a worked as a, an, in a, a bank and he was a, and um, every year on his birthday for the last five years at that time, he would go to a, a restaurant, get blind drunk and start throwing chairs around. And when the police came, he would tear the badges off if he could. And so, but he, he didn't drink one other time. And the rest of the oh. year, sober. And, happy uh, birthday. Yeah. Happy <laughs> birthday. Uh, and of course there was reasons why he did it on his birthday, but, uh, but um, so, but he was an alcoholic. In other words, he, when he had alcohol, he did not, he lost control. And it was a real dramatic kind of thing. But what surprised me as a young therapist was that you can be an alcoholic and only drink once a year. But yeah. when that, and that was dramatic, you know, this usually is not like that, but uh, right. it, it can be, um, it's usually, it can be things where the person becomes more and more isolated. I mean, nothing, they still, they keep their job. They do fine. Uh, they're probably very um, uh, friendly when people talk to them, but they start avoiding people. Uh, they just, they get more withdrawn and that that's not obviously alcoholism, but it's, it's one of those things where they start losing their contacts with people mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and to people that want to be close to them, like their wife or their kids, uh, it, it's a problem, uh, but not a huge problem, but it's, it's a problem. So it's hard to define it. You know, it's hard to define it, it exactly like you can with a broken arm. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, that might be the functioning alcoholic, as they say it, right? Yeah. What, uh, you know, one cliche there is in counseling and maybe alcohol counseling as well is that the person only gets better when they want to get better, that nobody can talk them into it. Is that the general, is that maxim true throughout counseling that progress can only be made when the person wants it? When the person wants it, but before that, they have to have hit a bottom of some sort. In other words, they say, I can't go on like this. And that's not saying I want to get better. That's just saying, I can't go on like this. And then that can progress to, I want this, but that has to happen. I mean, you absolutely, you can't, you, you can't force anybody into this. You can't give them drugs. You, I mean, we used to have drugs. Uh, we'd give them with a psychiatrist where if every time they drank, they would get really sick, you know, as oh, sure. you know, physically, mm-hmm. physically sick. Um, so that'd be a, you'd think, oh, that'd be a debtor. No, I'm not going to drink because I'm going to get sick. And I still have this drug in me for the next six months. So I, I like, 
and that may last for six months, but as soon as you're, you're off the drug that makes you sick, you're still an alcoholic because you haven't learned how to think through your problems. You still treat problems the way you did when you started drinking uh, and you, you don't know how to handle your life. So um, yeah, that's it. So yeah, to answer your question, you do have to hit a bottom and the bottom can be, I mean, the bottom is a subjective thing. It can be all the way in the gutter, literally in the gutter, you know, passed out in the gutter to something that's much more, you know, a higher level, they haven't lost all that much yet. But that bottom means something to them. It means something yeah. to them. It's, it's a subjective right. bottom. There's no absolute bottom. Yeah, it's a subjective right. bottom. Right. Kind of the way it is with anything, any change, right? You have to you have to decide, do you want to get in shape? You're not going to get in shape because somebody else said it. You're going to get in shape because there's something that hit you and like, oh my gosh, I'm 180 pounds now and I used to be 140 and, you know, whatever, whatever that bottom is for you. Yeah, I can see that. So, um a friend of mine, and this really is a friend of mine. This is not like. <laughs> Tell me about um, this friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, this friend of mine. No, he's got a daughter um, who's like fifteen or sixteen, something like that. But she's gotten uh, into into drugs, and and um, uh, parents are divorced and things like this. But uh, it's just such a tough thing to to watch, and and because. Because it's clear that she needs to hit this bottom, whatever that bottom is for her. And the, the tricky thing is, can you do to show someone or, or to make someone feel like they've hit that bottom, you know, to give them that incentive? Because there's like, well, you kick them out of the house, but then they do this, you know, or they run away or, you know, you're going to do this to them. You put them in this rehab center and they're there for five days. They get out or they run, whatever. You know, there's all these things because that person doesn't want to change. This is what they want to do. So, yeah. So they're having a tough time figuring out, well, what do we do with this kid? Because we don't want to be, we don't want bottom to be like you're dead in a ditch. Right. Obviously that's, you know, um, that's, that's the, the scary part there. So how do you, you know, how do you help someone see, is there, is there any way to help someone see like, this is aside from maybe what you were talking well, I'll let you, I'll let you answer, but we, we might've kind of answered it already with the, sort of the intervention. Tell people what, what that does to you when they do this, right? Sure. That that's true. And that that's probably less successful with teenagers than it is with mm. older adults because they've had so little experience and they're wrapped up in themselves and their peers who are also abusing. Uh, yep. So one thing with, uh, uh, and this works with anybody, but there's a certain, if, if, if we can, as, as parents, you could hospitalize them, put them in a, in a, a, a unit that will keep them there for not five days, but 30 days. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, a degree of peer pressure because there are people that they're, they go into group therapy. That's one of the things they do. Um, there are people who've been there 30 days and have learned something about themselves, but it's also, it's a 15 year old kid, right? It's, it's their peer, right? There's yeah. learned. Something. So that kind okay. of peer pressure, I mean, they can, in fact, it's often in the hospital, we found it's after hours. I mean, the, the patients talking to each other was a big part of the treatment because they'd say, look, I've been right where you are. And they have been just, you know, not, not that we've become, you know, saints in 30 days, but they, they learn a few things, right? Sure. Can you, uh, can you charge for that? Can I charge for <laughs> Yeah. I mean, these two people talking to each other, there's got to be some coding that you can charge and get some payment <laughs> oh, for that, right? Because you just... Hard. I know. You just said that most that it, it helps a lot, so there's got to be some type of monetization <laughs> for this. That's right. I, I don't know why we didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you could have retired earlier had we talked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. No. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. I, uh, one question I got, and this uh, this doesn't mean to be personal here, but one cliche I might have heard is that you know that people that sometimes go into this field <laughs> might have their own problems, right? 
did you encounter that uh, amongst your peers? Were there a lot of, was there a higher percentage of messed up people in the field than the general populace? Um, no, I didn't notice that, but I, I, I do know that we all have our hangups. We have, no matter how good you are at whatever age you got, you got some issues. And when you're, especially when you're 25 and getting your PhD and, uh, and want to go out in the world and help or 30, or I guess it was, it was much older when I got mine, but um, you, um, you, you are, you have hangups. And the first thing the therapist has to do is to be in therapy himself or herself. You have to be able to identify, you know, what, who, what are my issues that I bring to the therapy when I see certain, I have, I have prejudices. I have certain things that, uh, that irritate me. If, uh, all those things, unless they're worked through, they get in the way of being fair with someone and, and really helping them being a, um, not one that's going to project your issues onto them. So yeah, we, we all, we, we definitely have it. I didn't notice any higher incidents at all. I did notice, uh, um, and through my little lens, I mean, it's probably two or 300 people we're talking about in graduate school that I knew um, they generally like to help people. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it, th- there was a caring about them. Uh, uh, people go into social work, uh, you know, that kind of thing too. They, they have a predisposition to, um, you know, maybe they, they, at some point in their life, they, they receive some help and, and they, they realize that's what they want to do. They feel good doing that. Um, that's a generalization, but I, I didn't notice that there was, you know, we always, oh, every, every group has their, their, their wacko or two or three, but uh, it, you know, no more than, than the average um, yeah. 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 Than, than the average group. How about, how about this? Uh, and again, you're, you're retired, right? Yes. Now I'm, I'm assuming in all these years that you did this, there might've been some advice you gave that later that night didn't make you sleep well because you thought, Oh, did I, did I give the right coaching or advice or whatever you want to say? How often did you encounter that where you're like, Oh, geez, you know, did I go down the right path with this person? That, that happens mostly with uh, working with a chemically dependent. When I'm doing regular therapy with a person who just comes in, has a general anxiety or something, um, I do very little advice giving. But uh, to, to your point, in, in therapy, um, I, with the alcoholics, um, you couldn't be passive with them. You have to be very directive and take charge of, of the group. Um, and sometimes in that endeavor, I, you know, I think I was, I was too rough on this guy or, you know, too hard on them and I wasn't fair to them or something, but yeah, I always had a chance because they're still there the next day, you know, to work that through. And part of, uh, of it is admitting as a therapist that, you know, I screwed up. I, I pushed you too hard on that. And I didn't, you know, whatever it was, you, you, you're vulnerable with them. And that encourages them to be vulnerable too, you know, because you're not just high and mighty, the, the great doctor here that's telling me what to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean that happened, but it, I had you had a way to work it through in the group, and it's, everyone's there. I mean, there's like thirty people in the room, or twenty, or whatever. So you're you're it's like a group confession, and um, my job is to you know not make it about me. But if I'd screwed something up, I'd I'd admit to it, and that was always helpful. Sure. So are you able to um, to sort of turn that off, that sort of analysis, or or is it like? You're at the grocery store and you're like, boy, that guy really needs to do some journaling or something, you know, like that. And, and if you can't turn it off, how does your wife feel about that? I do turn it off. I yeah. don't, I mean, I, for, I forget everything. I, I, when I, I haven't practiced for a number of years now, but when I'd walk out of the office, I would forget everything until I got back into the office the next time with a person. It would all come flooding back to me. I never, I didn't take, I hardly ever took notes, but I could, I, for, for some reason, I just, I just left out of the office. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it can drive you 
<laughs> drive you nuts. I sure. mean, if you're going to think about it, all, there's some patients that are very, very difficult, um, you know, that uh, you know, demand an awful lot. So you have to take that out, uh, turn that off. And I, I mean, I have other things that I do. I, I, I love sports. I mean, I, 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 I love to play sports. I mean, whether it's, it's racquetball or uh, I, I work out, I do CrossFit. Um, all these things are physically demanding and keep you in the moment in your body and, and not thinking, right? And so I have those things that have always helped me. Um, so I don't bring it home. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now, obviously, you're a pro- you were a professional in this field, but I got to think we're all human. And when somebody is you know, uh, laying out the problems and talking for a long time, and you, you're doing your best to listen and analyze. There's got to be that those times where you all of a sudden catch yourself daydreaming during somebody's session. I'm sure that happened. Uh, did it? Or are you, I mean, no. are you, are you far enough away from it that you could uh, confess to something like that? Or, or, or does that not happen? I confess very easily. <laughs> yeah, that happened. And sometimes it would be because I hadn't gotten enough sleep for a couple of nights. And, you know, right. that on me. Now, that's something I probably wouldn't discuss with a patient. But if I found myself doing it, I'd snap myself back into it. Yeah. I mean, I never I had a psychiatrist friend of mine. A guy would literally fall asleep in the session. I mean, he was there with his mouth open. Um, I, uh, I I would have moments where I would drift off. Um, but, you know, it's... I, yeah, I did it, but you know, I, it, it wasn't a common thing. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, I was not trying to out you of anything <laughs> like that. But I'm just when I think of a job like like a clinical psychologist, I think that that's got to be one of the most difficult parts of that profession to stay in the moment, to stay concentrated on the person. And not that you don't do it 95 percent of the time. But again, we're human five percent of the time. Every now and then, I'm sure you drift off and. You know what? When I think about that, I think also the surgeon, you know, the guy he's working on, here, right? How, does he ever drift off, right? Yeah. Right, right. You know, he's got the open heart thing and also he starts thinking about how he's going to get the laundry done. Right, right. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know what? I bet you that happens. It happens all the time. Do you but, have a, do you and psychi- psychiatrists have a little rivalry? Like psychologists and psychiatrists, you kind of butt heads? You know, I think not so much now in, in the practice. I mean, it is much more of a egalitarian kind of thing. Back in the day, yeah, the, the psychiatrists in general were, were stereotyping, but they were kind of, uh, they had more power. I mean, they, they're the MDs in the hospital and we're the lowly, you know, uh, PhDs. Um, so there was a, there was often that, that class, dis- it was like a class distinction. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. We were definitely not you know, at the top of the class. We were the, the uh, we were at lower class. Did you have psychiatrist jokes like, yeah, three times, three psychiatrists walk in a bar. And uh, you know. well, I, I'm thinking that the softball games are a little intense. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's uh, we always got a good working relationship with them, though. I mean, even even back in the day, they they were um, it, it all depends on the people. There's some people that just they take all their arrogance that they have in their life. They're going to go to medical school or to, to, to be a psychologist to, to lord it over people. And they're just that they, you, you can always have that. Right. Sure. And then you you get these degrees after your name and you get the status in the, in the community. And all of a sudden you begin to think you're a little bit godlike. And yeah. I mean, it's just a natural kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we we always avoided guys like that because as we could, we work with who we wanted to work with. And, um, you know, sure. it's just it's just part of the part of the deal. I kind of know what you're talking about because I have some of these problems with my podcast partner here, Jim. And so maybe we need maybe we need some type of online counseling session here with you because uh, 
It's not my fault. I'm better. I mean, it's not my fault. (laughs) With that, I want to thank our guest tonight, Ron Martin, clinical psychologist and alcoholism counselor. In the past, he's he's got other. I know he's a big golfer here now, and and a little bit of a day trader, and so that's what keeps keeps him going these days. But he had a long career in those fields, and we thought it'd be interesting to have him on tonight to talk about uh, those fields. Well, Ron, thanks again for stopping on the show. Thank you so much. I had a good time, you guys. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Ron. Really appreciate it. It's nice to, nice to meet you. Thanks again, Ron. Yep, Thank thanks, you. Ron. Okay, yeah, thanks. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast as we take another look behind the scenes, this time from Season 2, Episodes 1 through 10. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch Podcast. Spread the word.